Dear listeners, welcome to Medicine Today on Digital Health, a podcast about the development of digital health and the status and applications of new technologies in medicine in practice. I'm your host, medical and healthcare journalist, Tiasha Zaitz. I'm thrilled to finally announce an episode I've been wanting to do for a very long time, blockchain in healthcare. What is it? How does it work? And of course, how does it apply to healthcare? Today's episode is going to be slightly different than the previous ones. It will consist of three blocks. First, I'm going to go through basic concepts of blockchain. Then, two conversations with two brilliant, intelligent women dealing with blockchain will follow. The first one will be Nadia Daikun-Tibold, an adjunct lecturer with the Department of Computer Science and Engineering at North Carolina State University. And the second one is Krista McFarlane, the CEO of Patientory. Patientory is a young one-year-old startup based in Atlanta, building a blockchain solution for healthcare. In the beginning of June, Patientory announced an initial coin offering, a token sale which brought them 7.2 million US dollars. Don't worry if you're new to all this. We'll get right to what an ICO is and how blockchain works in a minute. So what is blockchain and how does it work? The most basic concepts to know to understand blockchain are a transaction, a block and a hash. A blockchain is a distributed database or ledger which maintains a continuously growing list of records. These are called blocks. Each block consists of transactions. In the financial industry, a transaction would be a money transfer, for example. In healthcare, an example could be an electronic prescription. Now, once a transaction is sent to the blockchain, you can't change or delete it. It's there. To make transactions well organized and even safer, they're merged into blocks. And blocks are like boxes. When one is full, the next one gets filled. When a block is full, it's hashed. If you're like me, you're going to ask yourself, what is a hash? A hash is a digital fingerprint or unique identifier. Hashes are one of the things contributing to high reliability and security of data in the blockchain. Each new block in the blockchain is linked to the previous block through the hash. This is what prevents any block from being altered or a blockchain being inserted between two existing blocks. So, in brief, very, very simplified way, a blockchain is a distributed ledger of data. It is very safe because of its immutability. Immutability is appealing because it brings transparency. 
Another important thing contributing to the security and appeal of blockchain is the fact that it's a distributed network. All the parties in the network are connected to the ledger and all parties hold copies of what's in the network. This basically means that it's impossible for a cyber attack or a virus to damage data stored in the blockchain because there's no central person or system that could be targeted and compromised. Whew. Okay, time to get practical. The first expert, as I've mentioned, is Nadia Thibault Daikun. She was in the team of researchers that wrote a white paper titled Blockchain and Health IT, Algorithms, Privacy and Data. This paper is important because it was one of the winners in the competition on use of blockchain in health IT and health-related research organized by the American Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT. Let's hear what Nadia has to say. Nadia, hi. Let's go uh, backwards a bit by first mentioning a few implications of blockchain in healthcare and maybe then we can return to the basics uh, and explaining how blockchain actually works. So what and where are in your view the biggest possible potentials for blockchain and where could it bring most benefit? You know, um, I'm a very much an optimist that blockchain could virtually be used anywhere. That might be a bit of an overstatement, but I think that uh, the potential is if we're to have a use case, it is to be able to safely store and use vast amounts of health-related medical data. Now, we, we have to separate that perhaps, you know, in the way that we think about health data. There, there is the health data that people believe that they own outrightly. And then, and so they generate things. If they're wearing a wearable of some sort, they generate a lot of data and they believe that that is part of their health collect. In some sense it is, but it really isn't because if we look at the technology of the wearables, they are not quite the same sensitivity as the technology that perhaps a physician will use in, in his or her office. So that's one set of data that is constantly collected. Some physicians like to receive this data from their patients because it gives them an idea if this is perhaps a cardiac patient, you know, if they're monitoring their, their health, uh, uh, their um, heart rate, or if they're monitoring their blood pressure. More importantly, on the grander scale, Blockchain can be used in the context of data records that are generated by other providers and other participants in the entire global healthcare spectrum that any individual interacts with. So those are your family physician, uh, your dentist, perhaps a chiropractor, perhaps any medical interventionist that uh, provides services to you. This would include pharmacies. Uh, it will include um, a blood diagnostic lab, etc. If all of these providers are using a system which incorporates blockchain for recording various data transactions, 
that is perhaps the greatest benefit in using blockchain in healthcare. So blockchain, as the name says, is a chain of blocks, and each block consists of a number of transactions. What, for example, could these transactions be when it comes to uh, healthcare? And another thing, when is uh, a block formed? So when um, are there enough transactions that the block actually gets closed? Well, on the on the Bitcoin blockchain, the limit still is one megabyte. So all the transactions that occur are bundled into this one megabyte package into this block, and then that block is added to the chain. All right. Let's let's go back even further. I go to the pharmacy to get a prescription. The pharmacist takes the prescription that I have brought with me from my physician. There's a series of numbers. There is all kinds of minutiae data on the prescription itself. The physician's coordinates, the physician's name, perhaps the physician's uh, account number. There's, there's a whole series of it. That is input into the pharmacist's computer. With that comes along the data that is associated with me. So would be name, address, etc., um, various uh, official numbers like you know your health card number or some other number that the physician may have already in the registry because I purchase and get my medications from this from this pharmacist consistently. Now I've come in and I have a new prescription, and the the beginning of the transaction starts. There is some input data. This goes into the pharmacist uh, computer. They review my existing account, match that, match some of the, the data up with that, and on it goes. Now, in the background, we know we're oversimplifying it right now, but in the background, a whole number of things is going on. There is uh, a coordination and a syncing of my account with the physician's record, with the pharmacist number, with uh, perhaps the various uh, provisions that I have in place for coverage with insurance or through the, say, the provincial medical plan. It all depends, you know, where one falls in his scheme. So all of these little bits could be part of that transaction record itself now is recorded it happens we have a transaction it goes into the block that's where it is so that's one little transaction in a block someone else comes into the pharmacy and the same thing occurs again and you create another little transaction and that goes into that block once that block reaches its capacity it is then appended to the chain, you know, to the preceding block, there's a hash of the preceding block that's included in this block. And this complexity is all wrapped up nicely with the encryption uh, schema that is used currently on the Bitcoin blockchain, it's SHA-256, which gives you this added protection. So that that's essentially, you know, a, a very much of an oversimplification of how it occurs. So we figure out what the transactions are and the blockchain connects different partners in the ecosystem. When we talked prior to this conversation, you mentioned that people are often thinking of blockchain as a database, but it's a bit more complex than that. So what is the difference between a normal database and blockchain? 
A normal database is just a collection of data points. You can use any kind of piece of software. Uh, for example, people will refer to Excel as a, as a database. It's, it's a spreadsheet. It just, it has various columns and rows and you define what the columns and rows are and you collect it. Something a little bit more robust, say Microsoft Access, which is a database, functions a bit differently, but behind the scenes, you still have this sort of spreadsheet construct. That is a database. It is just a repository. Databases are repository of data that you have put together referring to an object, to a space, to whatever your greater kind of, you know, universal construct is. This is the, this is the stuff that you're keeping in reference to a product. Blockchain is not that. It's not simply a database. It has the added complexity of having a hash, a hash of the previous block that will be included in next block, the one that's being built, the current block that is being built is very unlike a database. Because it is hashed and encrypted, it becomes immutable. It is very difficult to revert or invert, depending on which position you take. You know, if you're a mathematician, you'll say this is, it's computationally very difficult to invert. Uh, computer scientists would call that a reversion of, of the data. You have this complexity added to the simple store of data, which makes it quite different from a standard database, at least in my view. The idea of blockchain is actually not that uh, new. It's been around for more than 10 years. The first ideas were designed 40 years ago even. But what's different today? Why is there such a big hype around blockchain uh, now? How are the conditions different that the development of this is possible? Is it simply the, the computer power that's increased through years? Well, the the technology certainly makes it easier. Uh, we have the compute power to make it run faster, but that, that's not the appeal of blockchain. The the appeal is, as I'm sure if you're referring to the Bitcoin blockchain, the, the initial Satoshi Nakamoto paper that describes Bitcoin in 2009, the appeal was, was that it will disintermediate the system. I no longer have to use a bank to have a financial relationship with, say, you. Suppose I want to purchase something from you. If we both own Bitcoin, we don't need a bank. We can have this financial transaction. There is value in the Bitcoin, and and it's done peer-to-peer. This peer-to-peer transaction is what makes it extremely uh, attractive. In the financial sector, banks are would be essentially completely unnecessary. Everyone would have equal access, according to the Bitcoin promise, to economic uh, well-being and economic wealth. But in terms of the financial industry, some are already saying that since banking is such an old industry, that they will probably find a way to implement and offer blockchain as a service themselves. So it's they will find a way to to still exist, kind of a yeah, precisely, and they are 
I've described that with blockchain, with, say, Bitcoin, what happens is that the complexity of legacy banking is going to be truncated and concatenated. The I refer to it sometimes as the squishy middle. This is the um, number of steps that it takes in the legacy system to go from one bank to another bank in final settlement. It takes a while, and and it is complex, and it is it's slow, and it costs money. Now, once you remove that squishy middle, you would think that banks would be very happy to adopt this because it will save money. That would be a very simple solution. But again, there are more reasons why they will not be very quick to adopt it globally for everyone. However, they are incorporating it slowly into their current systems. You have Ripple, which is a uh, cryptocurrency banking uh, for the banking industry that is being explored. Honestly, I think the banks are are doing far more behind the scenes in in exploring the use of blockchain within their own system. But let's go back to why is this so attractive? The most important feature, I believe, with blockchain is its immutability, that you can have trust without having to have a third party in some cases, uh, that you don't necessarily need to know who you're dealing with because the the reliance will be on the encryption and the mathematics. And as uh, the developers like to say, code is law. So that's the, the real attractiveness of it. There's the, you know, you're once this transaction has occurred, There's no doubt. No one can go back and redact it and say, oh, no, you didn't give me $200. You gave me only $150, and you still owe me $50. That's the attraction. If we return to healthcare, on the one hand, this immutability brings transparency, which is positive. But then on the other hand, uh, some are already wondering what are we going to do with data that should be uh, changed or redacted because uh, mistakes do happen and sometimes data does need to be uh, fixed, but it's impossible to do that in a blockchain. Okay, well, what would you have in mind that data has to be fixed? Well, for example, if the if the wrong measurements are taken, let's say. If you're very careful and attentive, the blood pressure that you take today from a patient could literally be done by a device that would have the exact measurement and that could be linked into a a recording mechanism so that that's the measurement that has been taken and not the one that a human might inadvertently make an error as they're writing it down. We have many medical devices that don't need human interaction in the recording on the recording side of the results or of the indicators that are being given to you or the measurements that are being taken, that that could be seamlessly integrated right into the systems. So that's, that's one case. Now, if you have records that are legacy or extant, you know, uh, records, 
I'm not sure that it's a it's a good idea to try to fix them because what are we trying to to what are we trying to repair? So let's let's take a hypothetical example of of Google. This has been uh, an issue, you know, this right of an individual to be forgotten. So if we try to kind of look at the whole thing from this perspective, do you think it's go- there's going to be a solution that's going to enable changes in a blockchain? Or It's an interesting uh, thought. It's an interesting concept, but I think it's a much bigger conversation, a much bigger discussion than uh, than simply I have the right to be forgotten. We would have to consider this in the, a greater context Let's, in the healthcare scenario, what would your right to eliminate the, if you've participated in the health stream, what does your right to have all of these records expunged or deleted because they are associated with you do now to the results or the data that was analyzed and used by researchers. What would happen? Does that does that automatically annul everything that was collected and analyzed? Does it have no impact? If I'm in a clinical trial and I have agreed to give a blood sample every week for some clinical trial purpose, or perhaps I'm taking a um, a, a, I'm participating in a clinical trial on a new medication. And I decide one day that I want my record, I want to be forgotten, and I want all of this expunged. Is there now an obligation on the part of the, the researchers to go back and remove all of those records? I guess in a tr- clinical trial settings, you do have to take into account certain conditions that you agree upon prior to the trial. But in a regulatory sense, I think the blockchain technology is so attractive in a way also because it's so complex at the moment we see the positive sides and there's no regulation because even if you wanted to regulate something, people don't really know what they would ask regulators to to regulate. Exactly. So if we treat blockchain as a technology, it and of itself probably shouldn't be regulated. What exactly are we going to regulate with respect to blockchain? Its use, you could have some conditions in certain uh, in certain scenarios. For example, government could regulate for its own departments. Any government could say, like, we will not use blockchain in the, under these conditions, or it would not be appropriate, or we will use blockchain in for this application because it fits what we would like to achieve, you know, the transparency and the easy auditability. Regulation with respect to blockchain itself as a technology could be problematic. What is appropriate to regulate is that which we can, or that which a government can regulate. 
okay, let's let's go to health cards. Everyone in, say, I live in Canada and Canadian provinces issue health cards because we have a single-payer system. So the regulations will be associated with the health card, the information that is held on the health card, who may use the, who may collect the information, etc. That is a regulatory requirement and, and one must comply with that. So pharmacists may collect your health information off your health card, but your local grocery store cannot. That's out of bounds for them. That That is an appropriate regulation. If we're thinking of larger uh, senses of where blockchain appears, for example, in the cryptocurrency uh, scenario, well, that would be regulated because now we're moving into the money side uh, of government uh, rights and the sovereign has the right to regulate money. Uh, central banks in each sovereign state have the right to, you know, uh, regulate, uh, set use, etc., uh, for for fiat for legal tender. Um, if we return to uh, healthcare, one of the potentials of blockchain is to solve connectivity between different uh, institutions. How does blockchain differ from already existing solutions such as platforms that enable this connectivity, like interoperable backbones that are in place in some countries or between some institutions with different IT systems? Some things are doable and some things are not. And some things, some data is considered uh, to be um, proprietary and that it cannot be shared and will not be shared. Uh, The rationale for that is sometimes not much deeper than that I am a supplier of a particular program that you use in your context to collect health data or healthcare data, or that you use it in the context of a hospital. And they may have in their contractual agreements uh, a requirement that you cannot share the data that is collected on our system. So there's, there's, I suppose one can say that, you know, there's a, a, a monetary and a kind of an economic uh, protection is illogical. It, it is difficult to move and migrate data from one platform or one type of um, uh, software to another without much intermediary action. Data repository that it will, will manage completely for all Canadian government departments. And as with any any government, there is a, um, a, a collection of software that has been acquired and accumulated over the years. And sometimes it's very old legacy software that still won't just simply take the data that was collected in on this platform and move it very easily to a new format and have it all integrate. And it takes a great deal of work. This happens in the headers provide you with software that you use for your, your business, daily business. 
Exactly, that's the the big issue. First of all, the IT systems are different between um, healthcare providers. Mm-hmm. Then the data they gather is different because they use different devices in laboratories or um, with uh, taking care of the patients. So bringing all the data together, for example, uh, for an analysis is very difficult because they're just in different standards. How does blockchain solve or address uh, this issue? Last year, um, a team and uh, at uh, that was I was part of a future commerce course at, um, through MIT last year, and our team submitted a white paper as part of the ONC blockchain challenge. The proposal that we had made that we had suggested would be that rather than trying to take the data from the source and incorporate into your analytical purpose, the data would remain there without being touched, so it wouldn't have to be exfilled and you wouldn't have to manipulate it. So there would be no 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 compatibility, no connectivity problem. What would occur, and then again, this is a very much an oversimplification, is imagine an algorithm that would go to your data and ask a specific question. The algorithm that goes to the data to ask the specific question has the right credentials to even be asking the collection of data these questions. And it would receive an answer, and that is what you would take for your analytical uh, purposes. You wouldn't have to touch the data. You would be distant from it using an intermediary algorithmic function that would go and ask a, a question of the data, receive the answer, and then incorporate it into the analysis. So the protection of the data is ensured because it's not at all being manipulated or exfiltrated for other purposes. Does that make sense to you? I mean, do, do you- uh, it does. I was just uh, thinking also about the the security aspect of data that's uh, in the hospitals and how blockchain is improving this uh, security. Is, is Does blockchain work as a repository for all the patient data? So, for example, if you wanted to hack the system, as we now see with many viruses um, going around and destroying systems, or at least causing trouble, would in a blockchain uh, each individual record have to be hacked in order to get patient information? Someone could certainly give it a try. I think that it would be absolutely impossible because when you think of how difficult it is to undo a hash, you would have to undo a hash of the previous block, of the current block, and undo all of the encryption that might be associated with the records. All of that is very difficult to revert currently. Some predict that, well, when we have quantum computing, uh, that will all go by the wayside. Possibly. um, I don't know. Uh, We would have to have quite a bit of compute power at that level in order to do it. I'm not going to say that it will never happen. Uh, However, currently, it is very difficult 
to to revert uh, and to re-engine to reverse engineer and be able to open up each one of the parcels and look inside. The reason why things are hacked remainder of some legacy systems that haven't been maintained, that haven't been updated, possibly human error, not pay- paying very close attention to your system currently. I mean, are there ways to get in? You know, people used to believe that all they needed were perimeter defenses, so they would put devices onto their networks like intrusion detection systems. And yet, viruses and worms still find their way around it because there is always somewhere one small point of ingress. If we were to use an analogy, it doesn't take very much for the human body to acquire a disease or a cold. All you need is one little entry point somewhere, a little bit of broken skin, for it to enter. It's the same way, you know, by analogy, in any computer system. There will, there, they will find a way. Yeah, but in blockchain, that... That would be impossible, that's right. So basically, in theory, if we agree that a blockchain is the solution for a data security in healthcare, the big issue is the same issue as we've always had how to convince management people and how to find funds for hospitals to adopt blockchain technology. Is it necessarily funds that we should be looking for or is it looking for the goodwill of good practice? Maybe one more question. There's a difference between a public and a private blockchain. Can you explain a bit the difference between the two? And then there's the question about what if different uh, vendors of blockchain solutions appear? Are we again going to be in the problem when a group of hospitals will be connected through one blockchain provider and another group of hospitals through another blockchain provider? And then we're going to have the same problem as we now have, that the systems will not be interoperable and data not transferable from one group to the other. Well, that's a very good and very difficult hypothetical to answer. I'm not sure that anyone has actually started looking at the possibility that different types of blockchains uh, could not be consistent or interoperable or would play nice. It's a good question. Okay, let's go. You said use the words private and public. Generally, they're referred to as permissioned or permissionless. Permission blockchains are those that you would agree with several others to create a network, to create a peer network. So let's take five hospitals in a, a very large city, could be on the same network, would agree that their data could be shared because people may wind up at these hospitals, but that's not even the rationale, is that they would be able to share the data with, with between them and from that data uh, analyze, uh, uh, do the kinds of analyses that could perhaps, um, you know, help project forward that could we have another big flu 
uh, epidemic in five years or 10 years or, or what is happening currently in the, on the acute care level within the, these hospitals. So that would be a permissioned blockchain between several providers who are part and parcel of a peer-to-peer network. A permissionless blockchain is one where anyone can participate and become part of the network, meaning that they would be a node on the network and would be able to link in and participate actively in it. In the Bitcoin blockchain, in order to mine Bitcoin, you've got to be part of the network running and maintaining the uh, ledger, the distributed, decentralized distributed ledger. Essentially, that's what you might have to do in a um, in in a, a permissionless uh, blockchain network, uh, say perhaps between hospitals for whatever use and purpose. Uh, for anyone to look at what's going on, you know the the blockchain transactions are open, so you can see them. You may not necessarily see all the particulars, but at least you see that the transactions are occurring. So there, there is also an, an audit mechanism. You understand blockchain very well. I, you know, I, I understand it as well as one can really understand this complexity. But I think that the people who really understand it are those who actually sit down and do the coding. Uh, what the outside kind of uh, reasonably familiar with this technology would would want is that can I translate my needs and my expectations of this particular blockchain that we're going to incorporate into our business um, so that I can convey that to the developer to write the code so that it functions with the expectations and the requirements of our business practices. I, I wouldn't call myself an absolute you know, guru of this system. Um, I think it's quite fascinating. I think it is, the potential is tremendous, but I, I have also great concerns of, you know, of overhyping it. It's not going to be the answer to all of our needs. It will certainly address some of our needs and very quickly and make those more universally accessible. Did you invest in any of the cryptocurrencies? It's quite crazy how their um, values are rising lately. Yeah, that that is it's interesting, but no. I uh, I have not. I think that it's it's uh, it's sometimes, you know, let's view it like the stock market. If you don't really need the money that you might potentially lose then okay you can you can certainly uh, participate in it but you know some of us don't have that kind of luxury and open scope when it comes to money to be able to put in and invest and I think it's really wonderful that you know some people are going to probably make quite a bit of cash on uh, on the on the cryptocurrencies it's a test for for the blockchain technology itself and it can also unveil potential issues that we're not even aware of yet exactly and i and i think that you know central banks are looking at this uh with great interest to see what what will happen and there's some concern now with the proliferation of the various initial coin offerings that are being associated with you know projects uh there is no regulation of course wherever 
when we speak of regulation, we generally think of it's got to do something to do with finances and money. Uh, and in this case, uh, I believe it's the New York Federal Reserve recently I saw is looking now into the ICOs. Uh, is this a good investment and is it, uh, is it risky? Yes, I think it is risky because it's on a, on a promise that someone is going to give you a big return should their project function. Some of the projects that I have looked at as they are described are really quite fascinating. The initial coin offerings give them the kind of venture capital that they might not get otherwise. Fascinating. Um, something to watch. Personally, it's like with anything, caveat emptor, let the buyer beware. What are the potential dangers of a blockchain that you see? One of the critiques that I read recently was that maybe because blockchain at the moment is quite hyped, some people think it can solve more solutions than it really should, because in some cases you might want or need intermediaries. For example, if I go to healthcare, usually when it comes to organizations, if they're not working well together, somebody will say that things need to be solved on a national level through an agency or through a legislation or some uh, organizational body, and that is an intermediary. So if blockchain is cutting out the intermediary in some cases, in some cases you actually uh, need them. To repeat the question, where do you see skepticism or dangers of blockchain or overhype? The danger is being raised in legal discussions. Uh, a few lawyers have written a few papers where they are concerned about uh, the possibility and the likelihood of you being able to remediate a very a situation that has gone very badly between two parties. Um, there is an easy problem and an easy solution that can be very conveniently dealt with, say, through smart contracts. If this, then that. If you send me X and I have received X, then I will pay you Y. That's a very simple scenario and a very simple smart contract. In the legal world, where you have very complex contracting arrangements between companies and different parties, blockchain may not be the solution. It may be part of a, an entire system, an entire basket of solutions that may have been quite simply trimmed down because now you don't necessarily need the big legal complexity and it could be a little bit more straightforward and some of it can run literally following suit because the, the protocol has been set out. The exact specific conditions as they are met trigger another action. That's a good use of it, but there will be a point where none of this will function and you will have to have that intermediary intervene. It may be uh, something that will have to be tested in the courts. And I don't think we have arrived at that situation just yet. I don't know of any instance where there was a, a dispute with respect to blockchain, but that might be very, very interesting to uh, to investigate and look into. We have to have a conversation 
with people who are concerned about privacy. We have to have conversations with people who are concerned with the legal aspects. There has to be a, a, a an engagement of many parties. Rushing to a quick solution for some problem that may not even be a problem that needs blockchain to solve it is a mistake. If you all you need is a database or if all you need is a spreadsheet, use a spreadsheet or use a database. If you need the robustness and the strength of encrypted transactions, then you would want blockchain. It's the appropriate mechanism that you one should use and apply rather than, oh, this is the new thing. Let me use it. Mm, I think we still have a lot to learn. We we do indeed, and and this is but this is very very exciting because um, the potential is so vast. And I always ask my someone, well, where could I use blockchain? They said, you know, to be very glib, wherever you want and for whatever you want. That's not the question. The question is, should you, and do you need to? If you don't avoid using blockchain because it may add a complexity and a problem that you hadn't envisioned. Well, we'll see through time how things develop, how companies or providers will be creative in finding appropriate applications. But until then, I think it's a good start that we at least try to understand a bit how it works. So Nadia, thanks for, for taking the time for this conversation. Yeah, my pleasure. Time for part three and a discussion with Krisa McFarlane, CEO and founder of Patientory. As I've mentioned, the young startup raised $7.2 million through a so-called ICO, Initial Coin Offering. An ICO is an unregulated way of fundraising for cryptocurrency ventures. A company invents their coins, tokens, and you can buy them with already existing cryptocurrencies. In a simplified sense, coins remind of stocks, in a sense that if a company becomes successful, the token value can grow. So buying coins is an investment extremely popular lately. It's very practical for startups because they don't have to deal with banks and investors and they don't have to give up equity in exchange for funding. I talked to Krisa about the idea behind Patientory, how developed the solution is at the moment and why she believes this is the next big thing in healthcare. Let's start with fundraising. A lot of initial coin offerings happened uh, this year. According to Wall Street Journals, companies have raised more than 1 billion US dollars this way. This is 10 times the amount raised in 2016. What did you do after your ICO? You raised $7.2 million. Did you change that from cryptocurrency directly into dollars? Um, yeah, so we like to think of it as a token sale. 
um, our token initial token offering instead of an ICO. We converted a portion of those proceeds in Ether to US dollars to help us basically fund and, and, and continue the operations of our company. So let's try to explain a bit how patient Tory works, how, what it solves. You're describing it as a cybersecurity blockchain-based distributed electronic medical record network. How does patient Tory network connect to the hospital IT system or the patient data? So we are a healthcare information technology company primarily, and we're using the blockchain foundational infrastructure to secure private health information that sits in an electronic medical record. So that is the centralized um, infrastructure in hospitals um, used to store patient information. And we're basically securing that. So what is the relation between patient Tory and a hospital IT system? Is it just up to the management to kind of... Uh, put patient or in place in the hospital? Yes, we sell directly to um, hospital executive management, specifically the CIO. So they're responsible for the IT um, operations and development of a hospital system. And where does the patient come into the picture? Because if I understand correctly, each patient can see and manage access to their data? Yes. So from the aggregation of data that we, you know, that we use to secure the information, we have a user interface for hospital physicians um, to basically manage their patient population. And in that, they're able to release the information to their patients. Um, via the, the patient user interface. So a patient will see an app in the app store that would be um, released later on in our development and they would be able to you know, access their information that are in the hospitals, but also use it to share it with other you know, health systems that they may frequent and their caregivers. Okay, so this patient portal is not in place yet. It is in private development. Do you by any chance have any idea or did you do any research on how prepared are doctors going to be to share the data with the patient? Because that's one thing that used to be quite a problem. So our infrastructure is HIPAA compliant, especially here in the state. So we are regulatory sound in terms of the laws and, and what that means to share information. And when patients sign up, they go through something that is called patient consent. Um, so they're basically agreeing to have their information shared with them, but also when they send it out to other individuals, um, that's also a regulation that is handled um, when they first sign on. Um, right now, patient portals are tied to EMR systems. However, they are siloed. They're not easily shared with other hospitals, especially on a national level. And as we see more people start to travel, that's outside of the, the international realm. So we really want to empower our users and patients to be able to access that information you know, via their, their mobile device anywhere they go. 
what's the business model behind patient story so how many hospitals are you working with and if a patient is going to decide to have patient story is that just going to be up to the hospital to give him access or is the patient going to have to pay something in addition to use the platform so right now we're working with two hospitals we are under nda so we can't disclose the hospitals until um, they feel we're able to do that however it is free it is it's a freemium model the hospitals pay to secure their information and in turn the patients they're able to secure their information they receive an allocated um, amount of network storage space on the blockchain network and if they exceed that space then they would have to purchase ptoy tokens which is a patient toy cryptocurrency to store additional information is it possible to estimate the amount of data that is available for free not at this moment So basically the key thing is higher data security and if a hospital purchases patientory this is their market advantage higher data security for patients. Yes, but also to themselves. So just last year we saw the health industry spend over 6 billion dollars due to breach of patient health information. because of the lack of technology to safely secure um private health information. So it also we see, you know, by using this technological infrastructure, they're able to decrease a lot of these penalties that that happen in the health system. A big issue was the data breach that happened a while ago with the WannaCry virus where the British NHS had a lot of problems because uh, their system got hacked a lot of surgeries were canceled and it was just a big issue how does for example patient story fit into this story what would be different if they had your system we see patient story as you know a solution to this so you know those breaches happened because microsoft servers were out of date so they found a back door to be able to take over the system and, and held and hold it hostage um with ransomware if they secured that infrastructure with a blockchain um network you know with blockchain you don't need any updates everything is more or less in the cloud so access to that information um would have been prevented one of the things that microsoft said Uh, after the attack was that their system wasn't the problem that they had uh, updates uh, in place and security measurements ready but if people didn't implement them if people didn't uh, uh, update the systems then uh, that was the reason that the breach was possible but if i understand correctly here everything happens automatically because of the cloud exactly Patientory is trying to also solve this big issue of interoperability. Is this problem going to be solvable only for those hospitals that are going to be using your solution? Yeah, we see our solution again as another, you know, answer solution to the interoperability issue. So we're creating a network for hospitals to participate in. where they can share that patient data but also see improvements um in their overall ROI costs because in order to you know see a healthier patient population 
we definitely need that care coordination amongst, you know, not only one of their providers, but, you know, many, all of the providers that a patient may see in their lifetime. In terms of solving a standardization of data or interoperability, how does a patient Tory network uh, differ from hospitals simply uh, adopting the same uh, health IT system? So right now we sell directly to hospitals. It's really their choice in securing that data and a, and a win-win for them. Our APIs integrate into, you know, four of the largest electronic medical record vendors now. But eventually we, we want to see a, a union with the different players in the healthcare system to work together to really define and establish best practices and, and seeing that overall improvement in, in care for patients. Okay, let's take a hypothetical example. The majority of the hospitals get into patientory, and so everybody can uh, transmit data from one place to another if a patient goes from one doctor to another in another facility. How does your solution address the problem of data standardization? Because Even if hospitals are connected between themselves, they still might use different standards for, for example, a blood test or other health measurements. While we do have the APIs and we do follow HL7 FHIR standards, in the patient profile dashboard, we've been able to create fields, overall overarching fields that address the, the different data standards for each EMR. So if, it, if a person had a blood test done while it may be in different formats in like an Epic versus a Cerner, on the patient Tory platform, you know, you can go to that subsection of a patient's profile and find the same information. How hard do you think it's going to be to uh, succeed on the market in terms of solving interoperability in, in healthcare? Because it's usually a human factor problem. Do you think you're going to have less problems in implementing your solution widely because of the security factor that blockchain offers? We definitely see it as a value proposition and a push um, towards uh, that end. While we do see it as a challenge, we see by really having the patient really in charge of their profiles and, and how that information looks on their end, it's, it's another, it's just a an avenue to have that information standardized. You mentioned that you're working currently with two hospitals to develop the solutions. Can you tell me a bit more about what exactly did you test so far? I'm not sure how much you can share, but there must be something. Now that our blockchain is up and, and running, that was part of it. But we started out really working on those interfaces, what that looks like, how the really developing a proof of concepts to what would be the optimal user interface for a, a doctor interacting with the patient and their care teams and what those templated care plans for, you know, specific disease states that we're targeting, um, that is the biggest cost to a health system would look like. Uh-huh. So basically you're in the phase of trying to detect uh, the the usual things on how the healthcare system and doctors in hospitals work, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's always the big issue. Will 
uh, implementing your solution also involve any process changes, you know, because usually when it comes to implementing IT solutions, it's also about upgrading the way you work and you can only kind of design a solution after the, the process is improved. Yeah, so we're going through that pilot process right now, that commercialization process with the hospitals. There's little I can share because of the NDA of our results, but it's really focused on optimizing their workflow, but also um, improving their ROI with the technology. A patient story is one year old now, right? Yes. Can you share a bit uh, how did you uh, get in contact with the first hospitals? It must have seemed pretty brave from them to participate since blockchain is such a new technology and there haven't been any real uh, good use cases in healthcare yet. Well, a lot of it, you know, I think any sale is really with, you know, the partners that you build and, and the relationships you create within the healthcare, the ecosystem or any ecosystem for that matter. So we were aligned with, you know, a lot of our partners um, that, were able, that were able to make those introductions to um, healthcare providers. Um, and we were able to, to pitch and start those conversations and really build that relationship to a point where we were able to solidify, you know, an engagement strategy moving forward. You're a CEO of the company and you're a female. And lately, there's a big debate around females having it harder in the tech world uh, to, to succeed, to get funding, to get investments. How did you assemble a team around yourself? It's, it was definitely a challenge, especially jumping off the, the limb and, you know, diving into new territories, you know, something that's never been done before. So it was, you know, we, I had to have the skill to really look for those team members um, who are aligned with our vision, you know, blockchain and healthcare, but who also brought specific skill sets to our team to be really be able to implement and drive our business forward. So how big is your team at the moment? How long did you search for the team members? That took a couple of weeks, months. Um, we're now four people and we're still looking to expand and grow based on the needs and our project deliverables. Um, the hardest was, of course, the CTO because, you know, not many people will have a healthcare and blockchain background. Did you have any more interest after the initial coin offering? Yes, we had even our interest quadrupled after our token sale. We get an average of about, you know, 20 resumes a day, which is a good sign for us. We definitely have more options now than we had earlier prior to that token sale. What are the potential problems that you see in terms of development and implementation of blockchain in healthcare? I would say it's definitely our main challenge right now is the education piece, really being, you know, the thought leaders and, and pushing um, this forward and, and really educating, you know, the stakeholders in the ecosystem and how they can you know, evolutionize and, and just really improve on their on their day-to-day -day, um, operations for their organizations and what blockchain means for them. How did you came to the idea to start building a solution that's this complicated in a way for healthcare? You you have a healthcare background, but still. 
Why this solution? I think, I mean, healthcare in itself is complicated and, you know, millions, billions of dollars have been thrown at it the past couple of decades with really little success to show. And I think in order to really fix a broken system, especially in the U.S., like healthcare, you're going to need more complexities involved around that. We see in finance how blockchain has disrupted um, that model. And I think, you know, healthcare being more of one of the tech averse industries um, with our research we see it as really being able to, to disrupt that that complex model um, does that worry you in any way if something healthcare is the area where technological advancements are adopted very very slowly for us no we see this more or less as an opportunity to really implement Because it, it's not an it's not a it's not a band-aid solution, you know, compared to other solutions that have tried to disrupt um, the healthcare industry. Um, but we see this as a long-term commitment and really technology that would drive long-term value to not only the ecosystem but you know the patients. So we're really coming at it as you know a patient-centric solution. What's your prediction on larger implementations of blockchain in healthcare? Some people say that by 2025, you should have a more um, comprehensive uh, system of IoT connected to blockchain, connected to AI and all the other interesting things uh, coming out. No, I agree with that um, prediction. And for any new emerging technology, it takes three to five years to really see critical mass of adoption. Um, and as the, the, the technology continues to mature, you know, once when blockchain just even Ethereum, you know, what we're building on now, it had an, an issue of scalability. But we see the rapid, you know, developments that are happening now around that in, in regards to scalability. Um, that's really going to drive that adoption and, and usage in the industry forward. Is there any fear that you have? I know that you have to be optimistic. I know that you're driven and I know that, of course, you figure out uh, all the positive potentials that blockchain is bringing to healthcare. But maybe also in terms of patientory, what is there something that you could say that you fear most? Um, no, no. I mean, I guess having fears is just it's just more of a weakness, right? Um, but I think, as I mentioned before, it's really seeing this as an opportunity to evoke meaningful change and, and, and build something from the ground up. You said you can't say anything about the, the hospitals you're, you're working with, so it's impossible even to say if they're big or small. But they are large hospitals, so we're like, you know, the larger health systems, they're more adept to, they're more transformative, they're more at the cutting edge of technology and they're more, you know, our early adopters and the, the framework of, of our really initial customers that, that we're currently approaching. Is there anything else that you feel like you would like to add or share or, I don't know, share an inspirational uh, um, idea or thought in terms of healthcare, which, you know, everybody's kind of always approaching with a certain amount of fear. It's just so complicated. It's expensive. And you're the happier if you don't need it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I think with healthcare, it's, 
it's 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 one where you just have to you know dream big and really focus on long term effects. It's not a an overnight um, win. We definitely know. I think healthcare entrepreneurs are definitely a, a different breed of entrepreneurs. But you definitely have to have that um, vision and in, in, in sight to see the long term implications on, on how it can really, you know, affect the overall health of a country, but also its economic impact. Since you've been in healthcare for uh, quite a few years now, and you've been working uh, more closely with the blockchain development and how the uh, hospital system works, uh, did you by any chance also notice anything uh, else in the workflow of the hospitals that you feel like digital health will be able to improve very soon? When I mentioned telemedicine earlier, um, and they, you know, most people think it was a bubble, and we saw a lot of telemedicine companies come and go, and I think it was also too early for that innovation because of of the the healthcare infrastructure needed to really support telemedicine. Um, but I think, you know, as we continue to mature, um, mature with technology in the healthcare industry, we would see telemedicine come back and really impart change in especially rural communities and, and third world countries. Have you considered uh, going to other markets than the US? What is on your uh, map? We've gotten a lot of interest from the UK, of course, um, South America and Asia. Any potential uh, collaborations already in the R&D phase? Um, we're getting there. <laughs> Thanks, Grisa, for, for taking the time for this conversation. Thank you. This is it. This was the 14th episode of Medicine Today on Digital Health, a podcast on new technologies in medicine and healthcare. We're going to have a short summer break. If you haven't, you can still listen to other episodes, which you can find either on iTunes or SoundCloud under Medicine Today on Digital Health. Do subscribe to the podcast or write a review in iTunes. This will be a big help to spread the word about it.